Welcome everybody to another episode of Beyond Psychedelics. Excited to have you yet once again. Dr. Curran, thank you for joining. Really excited for today's conversation. Focus specifically around best practices. I know we're gonna go in a couple of different ranges here. And I know that's gonna be um, maybe some things that come up that may shake some feathers, but just know that if you're listening and that happens, this is all coming from a context of how can we support the growing space? How can we support more people getting into treatment and how can we all do our best in our space here? That, that, thank you, Sebastian. I appreciate it. And you know, it's, it's, we talk about the word best practices and, and I think looking at everything that we've seen from the healthcare landscape of what we're doing, it's definitely a conversation that should be had. I think we haven't talked about it enough and the reality is, and doesn't just apply to, you know, building rapport and trust and, and providing clinical treatments. There's so much to it. So should we get a little messy with it? Let's get messy. Let's get messy. I, th I think it's so powerful. I mean, especially in this space that's still so new. I take a look at some industries in the past that so much was learned years after that if people were to learn what they could have done differently when they started, how much faster they could have grown. And then I see that's where we're at right now. How can we take some of the best practices in business and apply them to today's medical field, specifically in the psychedelic space? And how can we ensure that we can grow faster, support more people? Well, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned the the overlap between those three segments because if you look at it from the wellness space, how many providers, clinics, doctors, offices are now in this wellness category? I think 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. And now because of this conventional understanding of what healthcare should be like, right? What mental health is inclusive of. And now we're talking about wellness. Part of the best practices behind that is what exactly are you offering that separates you as a wellness provider? You're not a wellness provider if you just offer meds, if you just offer, you know, TMS, if you just offer uh, therapy, there's other elements to what integration is there. And then at the, on the second end of it, and we've talked about this, why are we not investing in our team, our staff? No. Why are we not, why are we trying to shorthand that approach and not invest that time and money and effort into into the people that are handling the intakes, the people that are, you know, representing your clinic, your office, your group, your organization, they're pretty much the face of it when there's contact being made. We're not having that conversation enough. And it's so interesting you bring that up, Dr. Karim, because spot on, I think a lot of business owners, they, that, that the return on investment in, in investing in a team is not seen for some time period. I was going to put a number on it, but I don't know how long that timing is. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. Right. But I mean, if you think about like, what does a front desk person do or somebody who's a secretary or administrative assistant for a healthcare organization, think of the roles and responsibilities that person has. Mm -hmm. Think of the roles and responsibilities that nurses have. I mean, I'm just kind of comparing the two because I think they are truly the backbone of our healthcare system. The medical assistants, the nursing registered RNs, right? The nurses as, as well, the nursing assistants, the front desk, the operational side of things, the administrative side of things. That's why there's such a, a unique growth of your master's in public health or master's of health administration. There's an emphasis on that in terms of how we use best practices there. And we're focusing on allocating responsibilities but when it comes to the the approach of of a best practice of what a healthcare facility should do, maybe let's take some of that burden off those people on the front desk who are handling literally every facet of our of our business. I guess what I'm trying to say is, from my experience, I've seen 
the front desk deal with a lot mm -hmm. of having to handle marketing, having to handle scheduling, having to handle patient, you know, files and, and patient charts, having to handle all of that. I don't know if you guys have ever seen office space, but it makes me feel like that. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm waiting for my TBS reports. I should have them by Monday at 9 a.m. There's this like, this is general sense of dread in the mm -hmm. healthcare setting in terms of the administrative side for, for some reason. I think that's, that's not a best practice. There's something wrong there. And I mean, what, what it's ultimately, if we can build up the team internally, it's going to have a massive difference in the way in which the clinic runs. And to your point, there's the people at the front desk who have all these different and I've never been in a clinic like you have. However, I have been speaking with many people who are in the position and they tell us all the time. We ask, what are you responsible for? It just says, they typically say too many things. And this is the same person that is not responsible for ensuring that the patients that are coming in or new potential patients that are coming in are being spoken with, supported and walked through a process. Meanwhile, they got 10 other planes that they're juggling. And if they got 10 plates that they're juggling, how can we make sure that they're going to be able to take care of every single one properly? You're spot on. And if you think about it from that perspective, you've talked to these many different people on, the, on that side of the realm. They say, I have to wear multiple hats. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if that person is the one handling that clinical atmosphere as well, as far as a patient getting treatment. Now, you know, we talked about TMS a couple of times, and, and I, I want to reference the importance of TMS is done by a treater or technician who is not the physician in terms of the actual treatment. When they find your dose and location for treatment, the physician does that. But after that, you're treated by a, a technician or a TMS treater, if you will. And we don't really invest in who that person is. I've heard, and I can't name who this is, but a TMS facility where the treater was wearing a shirt that had the Crown Royal whiskey bottle on it and providing treatment to this patient. And this patient told me, that this treater, this technician, was kind of dumping their entire life story with the struggles onto this patient during the treatment. So again, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying that everybody does that, but like if you invest in who you bring in into your office, into what they do, that is a best practice because they reflect well on you. If you have somebody with great people skills, with great social skills, with great, you know, uh, 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 interpersonal skills, being able to multitask, that's great and all, but being mindful, being sensitive, being, you know, culturally sensitive, being inclusive. Mm. Um, that's been an issue too. Um, you know, with, you know, Pride Month being recent, I think we have to kind of reference that there's a certain sensitivity that's happening culturally in the US or we're not, you know, emphasizing that enough as well. Because now things become a little bit more tricky because we're not really focusing on on the matter at hand. Having I have always thought about and Sebastian, you can kind of give me some insight on this. I've always thought about, you know, hiring people that come from retail into the healthcare landscape because mm. of just that customer-based approach, you know, the smiling, the greetings, all of it, like they do it right. It's like retail teaches you a lot. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, something like, like retail, something like even waiting tables, the, the idea yeah. of having to serve someone it's a complete different dynamic than somebody feeling entitled to just move something forward. And I, I've seen that again, indirectly through clinics, some people that are in the front line, it's almost like there's a sense of entitlement to somebody coming in. They call somebody that's depressed and the person on the other side doesn't know who they are. And then the person that originally called hangs up because they, they didn't know what treatment is. 
yet the conversation didn't lead to any sort of curiosity or engagement with that consumer that could have potentially really been supported. Sure. Yeah. So then with 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 that in mind, best practices, again, because the idea is for someone that's listening right now as a, as a provider or someone that's looking to get into the space, if I'm looking to start a clinic or if I'm already running a clinic, what are some best practices that I can generate for my team so that I can ensure that the right people are going to be working for me? Or you know, me? Yeah. And, and when it comes to the team itself, you have to be really you know, objective about who you're bringing on and, and kind of, uh, you know, expand your horizon a bit in terms of what you're looking for. Because if you're, if you're directing your, your search to somebody who has a healthcare background, that's great, but you might be missing somebody who is actually a star in the making in terms of that role that could potentially really be helpful. I'll give you an example. Yeah. With our team, one thing we did was we had two different technicians or treaters and even a third at one point. But my point is the first two first one that we brought on came from a beauty spa background. She knew how to smile, how to talk, how to listen, how to be empathetic. She understood the importance of customer satisfaction, in this case, patient satisfaction. And she wasn't clinically you know, trained in anything other than the fact that she was somebody who could perform treatments, who was certified, trained, performed TMS treatments. But before that, no clinical experience, just people experience. So to answer your question, if you're bringing on a team how sociable are they? How quick can they handle a situation, especially in mental health, where somebody's having a crisis and be able to kind of redirect that? Now, the other person I hired was somebody going into uh, getting their counseling degree. So they're in a master's program, so they're trained for this. The irony is, let me ask you this question, who do you think was better at doing a phone intake? <laughs> yeah, right? I think we both know who. Where's the value there? So don't limit your potential with somebody bringing on your team just because of what the initials next to their name are or their background. Even myself, having an MD can, yeah, it's, I've, I have that and I've, I've gone through the ropes. But what I've learned from some of my nurse practitioners, my counselors, my RNs, you know, there's things that I'm going to take from them that they're going to take from me and it goes both ways. So my sure. treaters, my technicians, one being from a retail background, one from the counseling background, the overlap they had and the, the amount of work they did together, they collaborated. So both kind of were able to kind of benefit from each other and gain those skill sets from each other. So now I have two of those people rather than just one with half the skill set, you know? And that's what building a team that's structured around a collaborative environment really means. And that's kind of why I'm, you know, I'm frustrated with the healthcare landscape because we're, I don't know. How Let's to, talk about that. Let's talk about that because I think yeah. we're, we're in a space right now where there's a lot of, uh, especially the, in the medical space, specifically with these medicines where this is a business and if it's not treated like a business properly, it's going to not support as many people as possible in a culture. Like you just mentioned, this collaborative culture needs to be instituted if we're going to consistently grow and develop. Well, you don't just want to, you just want a, a breathing, living person to read off something when they take a phone call, right? You want them to be able to think, to adapt. So when I say I'm frustrated is because we talk to providers and 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 clinicians and and clinical teams all the time. And one thing we keep hearing is, oh, you know, uh, our patients aren't really ready for treatment, or they're not sure something could be taking place. And the question we have to ask is, what is being said? And it's so minimal in terms of what's being provided in most cases, and that frustrates me because we're doing a disservice because somebody seeking some sort of answer, seeking help, is now limited from doing so. So you're talking about best practices. It's not just to build your business. It's also the fact that if somebody potentially could benefit from this treatment that you offer, do they have the avenue to get that information the most effective way? Because if that open channel of communication 
is very limited in terms of what's being exposed, then why are you investing all this time in opening a practice? Your front door is already shut. You mm. build this beautiful house inside. You have all this great furniture. You have these great you know, uh, appliances, but you can't tell because the front door is shut and it looks like crap from outside. You can't see anything on the inside. Let that window open into your office, into what you are, what you really do well. And I hate to be so transparent about it, but it's just, it's a frustration I have because I've had to work with providers and refer out and man, what are you doing? <laughs> mm. And look, you know? it's, it's the, this is the, the kind of conversation that maybe not everybody wants to hear. However, this is what starts to make the difference long-term. 100%. This is what really starts to show what needs to be done differently if things are going to expand and grow and if we're going to be able to reach a next level of consumer, which again, right now, there's just not enough people out there that know enough about treatments. Hundred percent, and and not that not enough that know about treatments, and then the ones that do reach out, that do take the action to call an office and say, "I'd like to know more about this treatment," are now discouraged, demotivated, or or or, or not um, accommodated because of whatever reason. And I'm not saying that, you know, your 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 front desk approach isn't, you know, you're not calling enough, you're not you're reaching out enough. They're mental health patients. If you're at mental health, you're dealing with mental health patients. They are limited from understanding what is helpful for them because their motivation by doing so isn't like it is for you and I. Hmm. It's like asking somebody to jog a mile in under 10 minutes with one leg. They're not going to get, it's, it's going to be difficult. So asking someone to just jump into treatment with you because it'll help them is not just enough. There has to be an open-ended discussion. And if you're if that if that person at the front desk, now if that person's qualified, they're great. They're a great candidate. They do amazing things. But you're throwing 10, 12 different tasks at this person. Where's your efficacy there? You know, where are you taking the right steps to making sure that they're doing their job effectively? There is something called burnout. We talk about mm-hmm. physician burnout. We talk about nursing burnout. Do we talk about front desk burnout? Do we talk about counseling, reimbursement, billing, burnout? They're burnt out too. And that's a whole different story. I don't want to get into the whole insurance side of things. It's like, the, the, I, I always tell patients, the insurance companies are the devil, you know? And they're like, yeah, I agree. So quick question with you on, on it, because there's many areas in which we as provide, well, you as providers and doctors that are building clinic, they can do things differently to ensure that there's a high level of collaborative work being done. Um, if I am running a team and I guess I'll say this, what are some things that I could be looking for to start to be mindful of, oh, maybe Mary over here is starting to get burned out. Or maybe Tim, who used to be one of my top, uh, employees now doesn't seem like that. What, what should I be looking for? Well, I think the, the, you know, it's, it's interesting, Sebastian, you talk about the, 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 what, what we should be looking for. I think it's the structure of how we approach the allocated responsibilities and how much time that takes. There's this cultural discussion right now. I think there was a study in Europe done about a, a four-day work week, right? And the benefits behind that. So I'm not telling you to limit your hours for your employees. I'm not saying that you should, you know, uh, uh, lessen the work time, but I think the workload and how much time is allocated for that should be should be mindfully considered. If you want your front desk to bang out a hundred phone calls to pr- prospective patients over the course of a week, allocate the time to do so. At the same time, give that that team of yours that's working their butts off some sort of recognition or reward, mm. if you will. You know, 
and for me, like it wasn't something where we had to go out of our way and have like a little, you know, office lunch party or something, but order food from outside. I was actually every morning, not every morning, but almost every other morning, I would pick up Starbucks for the entire team. And it was dangerous because taking four Frappuccinos in a car and bringing it to your office, you're very risky. But the idea is, you know, um, <laughs> it's just a small little gesture went a long way. Now that's one way to kind of sugarcoat it literally. But the other end of it, if I'm allocating a certain amount of time for patient treatment, for patient outreach, for patient follow-ups, for administrative uh, responsibilities, then you have to look at your weekly schedule and see where you're adding too much of that, that staff member's plate. I know one of my technicians, sorry to cut you off, says one of my technicians, she, she had 15 straight treatments that day. She had a 20 minute lunch break, 15 straight treatments. I knew she was busting her butt. I had five, six consults to go through, but I could hear the, the machines clicking in the back. So patients are getting treated. I told her to go home early that day. Hmm. She was only working for seven hours, but that's a lot. Just because she's there for an eight hour shift and you have another hour, let's not you milk the cow. You know, like this is someone, this is a human being that you need invested in for the rest of the week. Let her go home and rest. I need your fresh tomorrow. Big and choose your battles, you know? Um, you know, that which, which shows the, the, the leadership that is required and not just in our context, but in any context, if we're going to be working with somebody, I mean, there's a difference between somebody working with you and exploiting somebody because a lot of people think that, oh, just because I should, then I should take this on. Not because somebody should, should somebody take every single action or every single task on. This is where delegation is really important. And as the employee to be able to say, hey, boundaries, you know, I've got these many things I'm currently doing now. I need some space. I got to be able to focus on what I got already going on instead of taking on these other things that I could take on. And that's something that I've noticed a lot. People just say, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. But do it. only to find out that they, A, either don't do it properly, or if they do do it, now there's some sort of resentment in the background because they give you so much to do. You're, you're, you're spot on. And, and again, it becomes, you know, allocated responsibility. Where are we, where are we prioritizing that part of the discussion when we bring somebody into an office? You know, Sebs, if you, if, if, if I kind of think about where I've seen our biggest hurdles, in, in in terms of the clinical setting, in terms of obstacles or patients getting better, it was during around the time when we were just you know not giving our, our our staff and team a break here and there, not being mindful of 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 that element of it. And you just actually brought something up that's really important to me. If you think about it, who actually gets most of the uh, the freebies and the bonuses in the healthcare setting? It's the doctors. Mm. You know who gets wined and dined. <laughs> It's always the doctors. What about the rest of the team? You know, so I always made sure we, you know, got that benefit for them too. The luxuries that we had as as a care team on the physician end, I wanted to make sure that the rest of our staff was able to, you know, get benefit from that too. For sure. And you know, this comes up in my head again when we look at the importance of, you know, monitoring progress for patients. When you monitor progress of your staff and team, the criteria are very different. So are you keeping that in mind? If somebody's not performing to your expectations, what exactly are you asking them to do? And maybe that could be something I could change. Mm. It's like telling somebody that they're effective, but then giving them a million things to do and say, oh, you're not effective. But if I give them a hundred things to do, guess what? Their efficacy changes. Of course. 
you know? So I think we have to look at it from that angle as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly important to be able to give somebody, again, that space to actually focus on what's required and not just giving them too much. Now, if, if, so here, here I am as, 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 um, well, I'll say this, here I am as a, as a provider and I'm now looking for ways to incentivize my team. One of the key things that I've learned in the door to door space as I was uh, leading teams was not everybody was motivated by the same things. Mm-hmm. What actually made the difference and I actually experienced that somebody showed interest in something. I, we then incentivized somebody else with that same thing only for that person to not be incentivized at all by it. And in fact, it actually turned them off. So it sounds like in order to properly have that sense of connection with the team, you got to be able to actually know what they like, what they don't like, and then incentivize them like that yeah. based on what they say. But what are you saying incentivizing in terms of like, like compensation benefits or, or? I guess that that's, that's, that that's a question to explore because not everybody's incentivized by money. I mean, I guess some people that have some sort of negative connotation to money, they get incentivized by money and now maybe they feel sleazy about it. Maybe they feel dirty, especially if they're dealing with, let's say, mental health patients. So it's not necessarily just money. How would you say, how would you discover what the team would be incentivized by? Well, I mean, the first and foremost is the recognition of what they do well, right? That's one incentive is to be recognized for your work. Mm. And far too long, we forget that little element of it. You know, when we talk about the ketamine side of it, when you're talking about the ketamine infusion process or intramuscular speaking or or intravenous, sorry, there is a care team there. There's a staff there. Have we talked about the recognition of how many adverse effects we've had in the office? Zero. If your office has had zero adverse effects, recognize that and say your staff, you know, deserves to be, to be, to be celebrated for that. And then if there's a financial way to compensate for that, that, that reward or achievement being recognized and that's another way to go about it our tms treaters you know one of our staff members she was able to perform five thousand treatments over the course of her time with us well it's that was that was very very exciting to share we actually it sounded kind of cheesy but i got a certificate you know got her like a gift card somewhere and we ordered lunch and did a whole thing and then you know and and at the same time our culture was very familial in that sense you know, if you don't have that familial culture, you're not really incentivizing the staff to go all in and, and be fully transparent. You don't want somebody working in your office, handling your patient care with you to not be focused on 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 the common core values of what makes your, your team run. But, you know, I think incentivizing your staff can come in different forms. I offered professional development options. If one of our team members wanted to enhance your schooling or, or go into a different uh, level of education, I'd, I'd be happy to guide them with that. We offered and encourage it. And if there was, you know, again, one of our technicians being a counselor, she had a schedule with classes. So we wanted to make sure we accommodated her in terms of her schoolwork and her professional life. And it worked both ways. Um, employee wellness programs, retreats, team building activities, these things go a long way. Um, but it shows the, the, the team and the staff that, hey, we're, we're trying the right things and making sure your compensation is competitive. I think we don't talk about that enough. With everything the way this is going right now, I mean, you can work at Chipotle and make 15 bucks an hour. So, I mean, how crazy is it that somebody who's placing a magnet on your brain 36 times to alter your neurochemistry is making $3 more than somebody making your burrito? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's practice. Yeah. We're going back to it. And I, yes. and this is to all the providers out there that say, I want to pay my technicians and treaters $17 an hour. That's a standard. Well, then that's what you're going to get in terms of quality care. 
you're going to get a two-star hotel type of feeling to it. That's what's going to happen. Hmm. Invest that money because the return is there on the back end if you put the investment, initially speaking, with the type of quality of care you provide. And in healthcare, patients know one thing. That guy is good. That lady's really good as a nurse practitioner or a, or a physician. That guy's a great CRNA. That lady is just an amazing clinician and she's been, her care team is is phenomenal. And her technician, Ashley, has been helpful or her, her, her therapist, Joe, has been somebody that I like working with. Counselors. We talk about integrative counseling. Best practices there. Yeah. If your office again, doesn't offer it, then bring them in. It's just what, what, what I hear from the thing you're sharing, Karen, is the, the idea of leadership. I mean, that this requires a high level of leadership to be able to see the full scope of what's required to run something like a mental health clinic. 100%. And, and leadership, but making the environment such so that your feel in the, in the, in, in the office is that everybody is an equal. Mm. Mm. So there's no set, no such thing as like a hierarchy. We're all working on the same table. We're sitting round table instead of yeah. sitting in front of the room. Yeah. You know, and like, I'm listen, you want your staff to call you doctor, such and such in front of patients. That's fine. You shouldn't <laughs> right in front of a patient. You're not, you know, it's not current. It's Dr. Narwhal, right? Or it's not Dr. John, it's Dr. Smith, right? So in front of a patient, but we're in a lunch setting or in the office and it depends on how you want to look at it. It's everybody's individually, you know, decides how they want to do this. My opinion, you get rid of the hierarchy, you get rid of the, you get rid of the boundaries, you know, to your it, point, before it's, it's, it's exclusive. Yeah. I mean, actually, inclusive, not exclusive, inclusive. It's inclusive, yeah, exactly. And it, it's more inclusive and it makes it more relatable. It makes it more of an environment where there's more open communication. There's a sense yeah. of, you know, uh, uh, seriousness and, and kind of, uh, you know, it's like if, if you walk into an office and I say, this is Curran, <laughs> or option B, I say, you walk in the office, this is Dr. Curran. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Dr. Curran. Got to straighten my back out. Got to, you know, like it's it's a different approach to it. So my thing is, let's it, the patients already deal with that clinically. I think in your office, make yourself more relatable. Best practices to me is not just making sure that you have a successful business. Well, it's what kind of environment your office creates. Can you feel like family here? Can you feel like that? Because yes, this is not your legitimate family, but you see these people forty plus hours a week. That's mm. more than you see your family. Mm. Like mm. I was seeing patients and my staff more than I saw my wife while I was in the office because that's just the way the schedule was. And you invested in the team, you invested in the internal culture so that obviously this is going to have a difference in the way in which clients or excuse me, patients go through. Yeah. So of course, invest in that. I, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to like who I work with. I want to be, uh, you know, I want to support who I work with. I want to. And adding it for this or any business, any company, and you want that, you don't want someone to reflect on you poorly, right? Everyone's motivated by different incentives. Everyone's motivated by different, you know, by different experiences. What I think is that you have to tailor your approach on what makes a successful team in the healthcare setting to a different level today. Mm. Because no longer is it the old conventional front desk, you pick up your phone and you answer and it's, you know, you just do the whole spiel. And that's it. That's, I mean, primary care medicine, that's pretty much what it is. You're not talking much more about other than preventive care, right? But when you go into specialty-based medicine, it gets a little different because 
you're getting the specifics about a certain condition disorder. And I think you have to be mindful of the fact that there is a little more due diligence required there. And that yeah. falls onto the person who's answering your phone. And if that person is not socially personable, that person is not, you know, saying the conversation or redirecting the conversation, then it might reflect poorly in your business. You might be losing out. Mm. Make me think of, we assume that we're so, we're all so different. We all have our own dynamic. We all have our own preferences. And if as a team, we're not really highlighting them, understanding them. I mean, within the company beyond marketing, we, we have uh, assessments where we understand what actually triggers somebody, what tackles somebody's hot buttons, how somebody feels acknowledged or received. And this is important for us because to your point of culture, if we're going to be working and we're going to be spending time together, building something together, then we want to understand what is, how can I speak with to Sebastian in a way that actually lands for him? Or what can Sebastian do working with Adrian that can actually have a project move forward? And these things are, are, are not known, then it's going to be that much harder. Now, this is all remote. So you're walking into a clinic where people are spending physical time together. And so then you amplify that. Those things are much needed. Much needed, much more emphasized. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like a, it's such a consideration that should be made more consistently. Again, this goes back to, you know, the, the element of focusing on quality-based care. It doesn't just apply to the clinical end. Sebastian, I think you said it before, you know, there's an, there's a business component to it. And I think we have to be more mindful of that uh, on, on how we approach it. Again, we're telling our, 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 our patients things to do to better their lives. I think we have to practice what we preach. Hmm. And I think that has to go into the front desk realm of things too. If you think about telling your, I mean, how often does a mental health office do a self-care assessment for their staff? How often does a mental health office have your staff do a PHQ-9 to make Mm -hmm. sure they're not depressed talking to 15 depressed patients a day or 20 depressed patients a day? It's a lot, man. It's a lot. It is. It is, and it could be little small investments that over time make a massive difference. Yeah. I know that when you were sharing with us some of the culture that you built, you used to have two meetings a week with all of the team and used to have the sense of, again, it's it's familial. While it's not family, it's familial, and that creates a different dynamic. But it, it made it feel like family, and that was the best part about it. Working became easy. It didn't be, and working did not feel like a chore in that office because we all liked each other. Uh, like still like or not like but we we all like each other and we all really care about each other's you know health and well-being and those meetings on a weekly basis or uh one was for the providers and the team and one was just the you know admin treater team to meet separately because yeah. the realms of the business and again this would give me the opportunity to focus on you know is my is my is my staff's well-being at its utmost peak and if it's not what do I do? Because the moment that starts dropping, then my patients get worse. Then I start losing business and it becomes a domino effect. Mm. We tend to forget that that's a real part of this too. People talk, sure. patients talk, the community knows wherever you are, wherever office you are, whatever treatment you provide, whatever you do, there is some discussion being had, whether it's with five people, 10 people or hundred people. It's so true. It's so true. And especially with is as humans, bad news travels so much faster than good. Oh, yeah. So we, we do so drama. much, so good. We love drama. We do everything oh, so good. The one thing that we do that doesn't work, and not everybody hears about that one thing. 
So it's so important having that. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the technician before with the Crown Royale shirt. Like, it's, I'm sure he maybe did a great job and everything else outside of also dumping everything of his life onto the person. But again, all of this, it, it, it's a good example of we can do the best. And if we're not mindful, it can also expand and not support us. Yeah, you're right. hundred percent. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, and we'll t- touch on the word drama. It's funny you mentioned that. I, people that say I don't like drama are usually the ones that love drama, right? And then most importantly, negative news travels faster than positive news. Yep. Like you do something wrong, you do something bad, your team does something that reflects poorly on you, that will get out there quicker. People are quicker to leave a negative review than they are to leave a positive review. That's their power. That's the control they have in the situation. So true. Yeah. So true. So everybody that's listening, again, the idea with this is how can we keep the best practices at hand. Um, I kind of had an idea that we're going to go kind of all over all over the place in the conversation here today, which is good. I appreciate <laughs> that. We didn't even talk about the business practices, best practices, which we'll leave for a different conversation. Uh, but just understand that if anything that we shared uh, maybe touched you in different ways that you didn't want to hear, or maybe you heard something that really resonated with you, the whole idea of this conversation is to see how can we take the treatments that we're now delivering? How can we scale that? How can we help more people in the community? How can we, at the end of the day, make the impact that I know we're in this space to make? Right. hundred percent. And if there's anything that you'd like to talk to me more about, I'm happy to discuss. If there's things that you say that could prove me wrong, prove me wrong. I want to hear about it. I want to know that, hey, there's more people out there doing what we're talking about, what we're preaching, you know, and what we all conventionally should preach as an industry. Do this more effectively with more of a quality-based approach, not just for our patients, but for people that work in our office as well. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, thank everybody for listening. Karen, any last parting words? Enjoy the drama as always. (laughs) (laughs) Can't run away, but I might as well enjoy it. (laughs) That's the way to do it. There you go. I love it. I love it. Awesome, everybody. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Karen. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.